You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with my main compadre, Jason. Hey, everybody. All right. We have a good show for you guys today. Uh, please excuse Dan. He had to go take care of some family matters, but we hope to have him back in the next week or so. Yep. Uh, but Jason, you and I today, we're going to talk about Microscope. Yeah, it's going to be good. Like yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Microscope is a great game that we have tried out recently, and we want to kind of bring our thoughts and, and feelings about it. So, um, yeah, uh, let's get started with Geek Geek Week. Jason, how was your Geek Week? It was fun. Uh, I discovered a new game. Um, it's called Escape the Dark Sector. Okay. It's a board game for one to four players. Uh, it's a co-op game, and it's... I really love it because it has a very like old school dark sci-fi theme. The um, this is actually a uh, the company there is called Themeborn. They're I think a UK company, um, and they developed another game before this one called Escape the Dark Castle. This one is a sci-fi skin on that. Uh, I found it because um, I was searching kind of Kickstarters because I like to browse it every now and then, and I found that they have um, they actually have a Kickstarter for some expansions for this game. So this game, I think, came out in 2019. Um, the expansion Kickstarter right now is called Escape the Dark Sector, Expand the Universe. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, this looks interesting, and I really like okay. the aesthetics. So I went and looked up the original game, and it's a game of deep space adventure. So the concept is that you and your crew are trapped inside of a brig on the belly of a space station um and it's a theme or a story kind of game like where you play through chapters like um the choose your own adventure card slash board game that came out uh probably three four years ago now okay um yeah where you kind of you build up your story via um kind of a story deck and then you get your items and on your gear all ready to go and then you flip over a story card you read it and that's kind of as you progress through the station to try to get back to your ship to escape. Interesting. Yeah, is like, you know, as you move through. Another game that plays like that is um, Space Hulk Death Angel, the card game, uh, which is a 40K game, which is you're basically a unit of Marines that are on a derelict and are trying to cleanse it of the Gene Stealer uh, uh, threat that's been on there. So that's a game, too, where you kind of shuffle up this this story deck that progresses from, you know, level one, level two, level three, down to a boss at the bottom of the deck. Yeah. And then as you play through the ship, you're flipping cards over uh, to build new levels and okay. uh, of the ship and stuff. So in this one, you flip over a card and it presents a challenge. Like, you know, uh, you, you're, you as you're walking down the hall, uh, we'll just be very simple. You walk down a hall and, you know, a guard sees you and is running, is sprinting towards an alarm panel. Uh, and then it presents a challenge. Like you can A, try to fight the guard, B, try to run away, or C, you know, and you have to kind of, you have to decide what you want to do and, and go after the challenges. It's it's not a complex game, but yeah. it's super fun because um, the, the theme of the game is really awesome. Uh, I love Mothership, yeah. which is kind of a dark space game. And this game feels like Mothership. In nice. a different uh, game setting, yeah, I really like it. There's different. You have different weapons, and you have different dice associated with the, the uh, the damage type that those weapons have, whether the you know energy or kinetic, um, or explosive. 
Um, the weapons all have things that can go wrong. So like if you get a certain symbol, maybe it's like a crit, but at the same time, some weapons, if you get a crit, it does extra damage, but it also like blows up in your hand and hurts you. Yeah. Um, so it's very much a like really difficult survival game. The The artwork is great. It's got that like kind of 1940s to 50s sci-fi sketch look to it. Kind of uh, like um, kind of like a uh, uh, Bioshock style. Uh, I guess maybe. that's more like 1920s, 30s. Yeah. So, uh, well, that and bio, that's more of a stuff, setting right? for Bioshock, but okay. um, this one I think doesn't feel as like 20s and 30s when you look at the pictures, but uh, uh, just the art style I think maybe has more of that um, dark 50s tone. 50s sci-fi, to it. okay, and dark yeah. tone. Um, so. Here's here's what I found interesting about this, and it's not so much about the game because I I didn't look yeah. at it. It's that I saw you get on Tabletop Simulator last night. Oh yeah, and try out the game before you decided to buy it. Yeah. So um, and you know the various opinions about that, but uh, the the thing is, this game you can find it on eBay, right, in, in yeah. the U.S. But it's a U.K. game, so the most direct way to get it is straight from the company, which means you know you're not only do you have an exchange ratio, but then you also have the shipping from the UK and the time associated with that. So I thought, I'll just build, boot up Tabletop Simulator and see if anybody's put a skin on it. And yeah. sure enough, somebody had. They had scanned all the pieces and everything of just the base game. And so I said, all right, we'll give it a shot. So I, I booted up. I uh, read the rule book for about 10 minutes, not even 10, maybe five minutes to get through the rule book, and then played a game and totally got destroyed. But uh, <laughs> it was, which is how I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It was really fun. If you have Tabletop Simulator, I recommend looking it up. It's Escape the Dark Sector. Uh, one to four players co-op game. I'm absolutely going to buy it. I'm probably just going to have to get it off eBay since that's the easiest way to get it in the U.S. Yeah. It's about 45, 45 to 50 bucks. Um, Which is pretty reasonable for a tabletop game nowadays. Yeah. And I'll tell you the, this. The game's obviously in Tabletop Simulator. The game setup is easy. Yeah. But uh, um, it doesn't look uh cumbersome to set up or put away there's nice. only like a couple types of cards and the game played i played a solo game by myself in about 30 minutes ah cool very yeah. cool so that yeah, was kind of listen my i i like i love the idea of you know and you said some people may have different opinions about this i personally like the idea of sort of test driving a game a little bit like before you like commit yeah. to buying it because some of these games are like 100 150 200 dollars and well, that's a lot of money to drop on something that you have sight unseen. You know? Yeah, it's not, and it's not like you can take it back, right? I mean, I guess right. uh, maybe if you buy it from like Walmart, you know, if there's a game on the shelf at Walmart, you could take it back, maybe. But uh, but the, yeah. most of the time, when the way you acquire, we acquire these games, they're, they're not returnable. So you're kind of doing a you're doing a gamble a little bit, which is why we usually spend an enormous amount of time on YouTube or Board Game Geek. Well. You know, I was gonna say, you know how we normally test out games is we go to things like Gen Gaming Con. Gaming conventions, yeah. And you sit in a four hour session, you play it and you're like, Man, I love that game. I'm gonna get me that game. Yep. Or you sit down and they're demoing it, right? Like uh one of our friends John, we sat down and did the Civilization New Dawn game that was coming out and yeah. and he loved it. And I liked it a lot too, but he loved it so much that he I think pre ordered a copy right there. Or, or something like that. And um, uh, it was, um, I mean, that's how that's how you kind of are able to do that in our COVID world 
it's a little tough to go over to a friend's house who might have a game that you like and try it out because you're not doing that. Yeah. And, you know, quite honestly, like you start running in a circle with gaming friends and you all start playing the same games. So uh, it's kind of cool to be able to expand your horizon with a tool like Tabletop Simulator right? and say, hey, let me just try this out. Um, we wouldn't have played. I, Dan would not have gotten Call to Adventure had we not tried it out. Yeah, on that was it, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and what you was know? the other one? We we played another. Was that Moon? Um, shoot me to the moon or something? Yeah, that one was really cool. And that one, I think, um, you know, that was definitely a fan, fan game. Um, oh, it was a, it was a, the big forty k one we played. Oh, uh, Blackstone Fortress. Yeah, Blackstone Fortress. We gave that a go on there. Yep. That was. Yep. And and I and I'm to be honest with you, I've got my eye on it. If if I ever see it kind of like on eBay <laughs> or something like that, drop a little bit in price, I think I'll pick it up. Yeah, you know, I tell you, got the, a bunch of expansions. They do. I tell you, one thing I really like about Tabletop Simulator is setup and teardown. Oh my gosh! Or being <laughs> able to leave the game out. Yep. Like if you just stop in the middle the somewhere, just be like, all right, we're gonna just gonna save the game. We'll call it a day. Yeah. Oh, oh well, so. some other thing I, I almost forgot. Some things I wanted to mention about this game, Escape the Dark Sector. Um, it does have a, a, a couple mechanics that are interesting. So it has non-combat actions uh-huh. that you attempt. And when you attempt any of those non-combat actions, like, you know, if you get a challenge card that asks you to, you know, try to figure out a situation, each of the characters that you pick, the character cards, they have their own actual physical dice that go with that character, like Lieutenant oh. Abbott dice. Uh, and Lieutenant Smith, they have their own dice. And those dice um, have different results on them based on oh, what that person is better at, you know, better at a wisdom check or, a, you know, a might check um, like cool. that. So, so yeah, so they have ranged combat, which is probably the most powerful, right? Uh, they have close combat stuff, and then they have kind of these um, skill checks. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really interesting game. It's fun. Uh, the characters aren't. It's not just pick a character sheet. You can you can pick the character card and say, you know, let's get a good balance when we bring when we come to fight this together. And uh, the theme is just amazing. Like it's one of those games where you play it, and if if you got a good imagination, you know, even if you got a weak imagination, you can play this game and really feel the story and the adventure as you're trying to dig your way out of the belly awesome. of the space station. Very cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Very. What good. about you? Uh, so my geek week was all things Viking this week, this week. Okay. Uh, I have been binging the Viking show. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in season four right now, which is the long se- like at the beginning of the long seasons. So like the first three seasons were like 10, 11 episodes, you know? And I think that's how they originally did it. But then it became so popular. They're like, all right, well, we're just going to do like a normal, you know, fall, spring, 20 episode season. So yeah, we just keep going. Um, yeah, so I'm in season four right now. Um, there's six, I think, on Hulu right now, and from what I understand, the show's still going on. So I don't know. I'll just keep up with it. But anyway, I was binging a lot of that, and um, I also picked up Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh yeah, uh, last week and uh, more Vikings. Yeah, kind exactly. Of. Been yeah. playing through that. So, um, the Assassin's Creed Valhalla takes place probably like um, a good sixty years after Loth- uh, Ragnar Lothbrok landed in England. You know, so he's there with the sons of Ragnar in the in the game. 
Um, is there kind of like establishing Dane, uh, like the Dane law area of England mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to see the parallelisms as between the show I'm watching and the game that I'm playing as well. Um, so it's kind of fun, but I'm, you know, I'm going to be like burned out of Vikings here in probably about two weeks. <laughs> well, so, since you don't sleep, that seems like enough time to get through it. Yeah. And again, to, to totally burn me out. So right. I was, I was actually working on this, like almost this like, uh, you know, theory and, and there's probably subject matter out there, but, um, it made me think like, um, the, the Vikings were very, um, uh, they had a lot of equality, like, especially amongst their women, you know, like their women were almost equal partners in everything that they did versus the Anglo-Saxons and the, um, Britons and, you know, the people that were living there because they were being so much influenced from Catholicism and mainland Europe and the Carolingian empire and all that stuff. Um, women were very much, um, subjects to their husbands, you know, mm-hmm. there was kind of that inequality, status inequality there. Um, and also, there was the uh, um, kind of a bigger concept of democracy amongst the the Vikings and the north northern tribes. You know, I mean, you had to have like, there were rulers and there was kings and there were, you know, earls and things like that. But there was also like councils and, you know, much more democracy from the people. They had like the you couldn't you couldn't go do anything without the say of the men who were going to go do it for you essentially, versus the feudal system that was being employed in you know continental Europe, which was I'm the king, you will do what I say, you know, and it was like yes, my lord type of thing, you know, and um, so you know my whole theory behind this was that a lot of the the um institutions that we have in america that you know i know they looked at classical greek and greece and things like that but a lot of the um i feel like a lot of the equality and freedom and stuff that they were getting at were also heavily influenced from the scandinavian influence that happened in the late you know um uh, like in 800 900 1000 and it was 1200 ad when like the magna carta was written which was basically more democracy in in uh england and i think that that influenced that which then influenced you know some english stuff and then influenced our philosophical thinkers so um i was kind of curious about the impacts of uh viking you know kind of society as it translated into a modern day america anyway that was probably like super geeky (laughs) but you're you're geeking out over this yeah yeah yeah. There you go. Geek week. So, so as I'm, yeah, as, as, as I'm like, you know, running with my guy because I'm too lazy to put him into a fast, fast thing and wait for the loading screen. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what uh, Danish society, you know, effect on modern day America is kind of aside from you know the Nordic. Uh, death metal that comes out now so. <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah geek week hashtag geek week hashtag. <laughs> yeah i took us down a way rabbit hole on that one yeah <laughs> yeah it's all good though <laughs> now you see the inner workings of my mind sometimes oh yeah listeners yeah so uh all right let's get to some geek news some geeky news uh do you got anything for us this week 
Um, I mean, we talked about, about uh, yeah, we talked about the fact that, um, you know, the miniatures, the Star Wars miniature game from Fantasy yep. Flight has been kind of, I guess they're consolidating their minis <laughs> yeah. into another company, right? Well, so Asmodee owns mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight games. They bought them out a while ago. Right. We talked and we about talked that. about this with the RPG stuff, right? This is a, probably like 10, 15 episodes ago. Dan was kind of a little upset that Asmodee had um, basically consolidated all of the RPG stuff into one thing that was not FFG. And uh, it sounded like a bunch of writers got laid off. Right. Um, And so there was there's concern that some of the some of the uh, flagship FFG, uh, you know, lines like Star Wars um, would suffer from it. And we haven't seen anything new from Star Wars in a while. Um, But what happened, too, is Asmodee just announced that their Star Wars miniature titles. There's three of them. There's. Star Wars Legion, Star Wars X-Wing, and Star Wars Armada. And there was a there was another one before that was uh, Star Wars Assault, right? Is that what it was called? That was kind of yeah. like Descent, like the Descent version of Star Wars. I played it with Dan Flinton one time. Uh, oh, Imperial Assault. Imperial Assault. Thank you. Yep. Star Wars Imperial Assault. Um, that is not, it doesn't look like that's a continued line. It seems like that was like a one, one-off kind of game. Um, versus Star Wars X-Wing, Armada, and Legion, those are tabletop war games, right? Those are miniature games, not really board games. And so um, Asmodee, uh, listen, they have a lot of different companies that they've consolidated under themselves. And if you continue, you know, multiple product lines that are essentially doing the same things, you end up kind of competing with yourself, um, and you're not reducing costs. You're not, you know what I mean? Like how many, how many, uh, production facilities are you trying to run when you could oh, be yeah. doing it a lot of one type of thing? So I, I understand the business case behind this, but there's some serious concern about the fact that they moved the star Wars things to atomic mass, which is the, they're the folks that have did the Marvel crisis protocol games. Um, and I think they're doing another Marvel game as well, but, uh, they've got some proven records of like successfully rolling out some miniature games and now they're going to be taking over the star Wars lines as well. Uh, the rumor mill though, is that, um, a bunch of people got fired. Like, no. So, I mean, which kind of happens. More, uh kind of downsizing and trimming fantasy flight apart. Yeah, listen, uh it sounds like they're they're uh being uh ripped apart kind of from the insides, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I one I mean I think that they've just been keeping the name because the name draws a certain crowd. It absolutely does. You know, but at a certain point they're just going to start putting atomic masks on those fantasy instead of the fantasy flight symbol. You know, they'll probably have both of them for a couple of years and then drop fantasy flight games. And that's, that's how fantasy flight games will disappear into the night. Into the night, into the night, not with a loud bang, but with a whimper. Yes. So, yeah. Anyway, so uh, listen, the good news, though, is that it sounds like Asmodee is planning to 
continue support for these games. And I think that's a good thing because as we talked about in our Dying Games podcast, um, war games, I think, especially need continued support and a community to survive. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, versus a board game like uh, Imperial Assault. It doesn't need anything more from Atomic Mass. So, yeah. Uh, the other thing that happened this week is that Brandon Sanderson released his new book. Uh, I believe it came out about two days ago on uh, November 16th, maybe the 17th. Actually, I think it came out yesterday on the 17th. Anyway, released his new book, uh, in the Stormlight Archive series called Rhythm of War. This is book number four. Um, and again, this is like book number four out of a plan 12 and he writes one every three years or something like that. So his series is supposed to take like 36 years to come out totally. Wow. Yeah, but have you read any, have you read these books? Mm-mm. Nope. This, oh my gosh, dude, they are thick. I mean, I think the first book was something like 1200 pages or something like that. You know? No, not 1200. 12,000? 12, no. 12,000 pages seems like a lot. 12 No, I think it was 1200 pages. It was something like 80,000 words or something like that. It was a lot. Um they're really thick, really dense great stories though oh my gosh i get sucked in with these things um and i'm really excited to read it and uh as an added bonus uh for fans of brandon sanderson and the stormlight archive last time that they came out with the book just before book three came out he released a little novella that sort of tied book it was kind of like a 2.5 right book 2.5 it was like a little novella story that sort of bridged the gap between two and three and he had a Kickstarter project that did the same thing for books three and four. So that came out a week and a half ago, like 10 days ago. That's called Don Shard. So if you're keeping up with the Brandon Sanders... Okay, so first off, if you haven't read any of the way, like the Stormlight Archive, so you haven't started with Way of Kings, pick it up today, start reading it. You will not regret it. Work through the books and make sure you read the novellas with them. I think like on Kindle, the novellas are like $7. Like you can't beat it, you know, and they add a lot to the story and to kind of the history of what's going on. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, work through it. I mean, you start reading King Way of Kings now, if you're diligently reading, it's probably going to take you like two months to get through all of the stuff. If you're reading like every day diligently. It's a lot to do, man. The biggest biggest book I ever read in my life was The Stand by Stephen King, Unabridged. And that how, was how a, big was that? That one? was a life accomplishment. I think it was like eleven eighty nine. At least the the paperback version I had. Yeah. But that thing was thick. Yeah. And plus, you know, it's interesting. Um, a little little tangent there, but with Stephen King, right? That the thing about The Stand is there's like fifteen main characters in that book. Yeah, and uh, I was listening to. Um, I'm I'm getting through his uh, book. I think it's called Memoirs of a Writer or something. I can't remember what the name of the book is. Where he actually kind of writes. He he's kind of given a little bit of an autobiography at first, uh, and then and then he kind of gives some some pointers and tips for writing. But uh, in part of that, he was talking about how he's writing the stand, and it almost like he almost didn't do it because it was or finish it because it was just so daunting. How many characters he had going. Yeah, and he said, I think he said he was going for a walk one day, and he decided he was like, "How do I manage all of these characters? How do I bring them all together? Um, you know, what do I do here?" And he says, "Oh, I got it, a bomb. I'll kill half of them." Nice, <laughs> and that's what nice. happened. And that's what nice. happened. There was a, there was a on the good, 
the good guy team. There was like 15 good guys on that team that you were yeah. all tracking. And um, he had a bad guy that was basically, a, you know, a, a traitor on the team that planted a bomb in a closet. And they went and found it, and uh, it went off before they could disarm it, and it killed like half of them, half the main wow. characters. And he was like, I, but he was just like, you know what? It seemed so simple. Yeah. How do yeah. I deal with all these characters? Well, I'll just kill half of them. Yeah, in Brandon's <laughs> podcast, story. they talked about, like, don't be afraid to kill off your characters. Yeah. Like, you know, don't be afraid to do it. Now, you, there's bad ways to do it that are cheesy sure. and will make, you know, fans angry. But I You think know what's interesting? Yeah, go ahead. As you can say, what's interesting is, you know, Stephen King, obviously amazing writer, amazing yeah. storyteller. And, you know, just saying that lightly, he's like, yeah, I'll just kill half my characters. It's like, oh, okay. But I mean, right, I remember right. when I read that, I was probably a teenager when I read that book. When I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, a bomb. Okay, come on, come on, get it out of the house, get out of the house. And then they didn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was, had such an impact. Yeah. On me, you know, the emotional attachment you had to these characters, you were invested in them. And then it was like, okay, I'm finishing this book. <laughs> you know, I'm going to finish reading this and find out how they're going to overcome this, you know, yeah. this giant challenge that was placed before them. But yeah, you can't be afraid so, to kill. So I think the thing that had the biggest impact, I mean, you, you, I've seen characters get killed off all the time, right? The one that got me was Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. Just because they had built him up, like, almost, they gave him plot armor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, okay, okay. And this is this, this, what's that? No, go ahead, keep going, yeah. Um. So, they built it up, built it up, built it up. By the way, this is not a spoiler alert here. The show's been out for, like, ten years now. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the book's been out since, like, the 90s, so... Sorry, guys. You know, anyway, Ned Stark dies. And <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, when they kill him in there, I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I was listening to it at the time as an audio book while I was driving. And I had to go back like three times just to make sure that I right. heard it correctly. Because, again, they had given him such good plot armor. Like, he was the head of a house. He was the head of, like, this the protagonist family. You know, and they had built him up and you're like, this guy is not going to die. And sure enough, dead. And I'm like, holy cow, nothing is sacred to this artist yeah, or to this to this author. Right. I think that death is such an important we're we're totally getting off tangent here, but I think it's important or interesting point. I read a book years ago. um, I don't even remember what it's called because it's coming out of the top of my head right now. But just an interesting theme, this book, the whole book, you're following this one main guy as this chief scientist who's trying to track down this science experiment that got released into the wild and was wreaking havoc everywhere. Um, All the way through to up into the second to last chapter, they finally get this like monster that they had created confined into this one like building and they're trying to trying to figure out how to like kill it the so second to last chapter this monster freaking jumps on the main character and bashes his skull in nice and i'm reading this i'm like as i'm reading this i'm like there's another <laughs> there's another there's more pages in this book <laughs> like, what, what? It's like, you know, 20 yeah. some chapters of the following this one guy is the main character and then he dies, but there's more book left. I'm like, what the crap? And then yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, the chapter ends and it goes to the next chapter and all of a sudden you are in the perspective of a girl who was in the room with him. Awesome. And that girl 
finishes off the story and she finds a way to kill the monster. But I was like, man, that's an interesting, that's an interesting twist. Yeah. You know, no one, I don't think anyone would have seen that coming, you know, cause I just looked at the end of the book and yeah. I'm like, oh, I got another two chapters. I guess we'll see what happens. Yep. But, yeah. Yep. Anyways. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah. Anyway, go out, read Brandon Sanderson. You, I'm everyone. I recommend Brandon Sanderson to is never disappointed. No. He's, so. Yep. Great stuff. Um, all right. Last thing that I have, it, this is just kind of a, a you know a personal one that I read, but the I don't know about you, Jason. I, you probably didn't even try, but I looked to try to pick up an Xbox Series X last weekend or last week. You cannot find it anywhere except on eBay for like twelve thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, I'm not that desperate for do you a remember, Series X. Do you remember uh, when the PS4 came out? Um, someone did a, uh, it wasn't a, um, it was one of those funding, social funding platforms and, you know, so it wasn't a Kickstarter. I don't, it was, it might've been a GoFundMe. I don't think it was GoFundMe because I don't think GoFundMe was around yet. It might've been, but he did it to say, uh, fund me to get a PS4, buy it, and then smash it in front of everybody waiting in line at Best Buy. And the dude (laughs) did it and posted the video on, on, uh, whatever it was like Google videos at the time or whatever. Yeah. And, and you can see him. He, he goes there. He walks into the store. He's waiting in line. You know, he gets there like, you know, like two in the morning the day before release. Yeah. He gets in line. Of course, the people come out Best Buy. They're like, we only have so many. So you're just going to have to hope you get one. He goes and he comes out with two. Yeah. And he opens right there in front of everyone, opens it right out of the box, picks it up, and smashes it right on the ground in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like suckers oh it's so funny long live capitalism yeah right (laughs) whatever i bought it (laughs) so i um yeah i tried to find it everywhere It, it like basically it um it went on sale and it immediately flipped from pre order grayed out and pre order not available yet to sold out yeah like oh immediately and so the people who pre ordered it in August were the ones that were picking it up here in November, right? Or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, but even then, even then, I think my brother ordered a, um, a Series X back in August, and I don't think that he's actually going to get his until December. So I think what we're what we're going to see is what we've always seen with these big console releases. There's a big wave, and then yep. and then we just go to we can only go into the store, look at them on YouTube, and look at people playing them, and, and have to yep. wait for a few months. But I think what also has always happened is that inventory trickles out without people knowing. And I'll say right. this as an example. There's a Facebook community for my uh, my residential area that I live in. And one of the people this past week posted and said, I'm not a gamer, but I was in Target, and they just happened to have one on the shelf, so I got it. And does anyone want to buy it? I just figured it would save you a trip. And, of course, you know, people in the community snatched it up quick. But yeah. It's just I we you're still gonna see inventory just trickle onto yeah, the shelf without people knowing. And they kind of alluded to that, you know, where they're just like, you just kind of it's catch it's gonna be catch as catch can. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. through the holidays up until and this is I think it was kind of Phil Spencer saying this through the holidays up until probably April of next year. Yeah, I think um, that's and, how I got my original Xbox uh, 360 was it just happened like i think i was standing in the store and they like walked in and like put them on the shelf and i just grabbed it yeah yeah so i got i remember getting a day one 
Xbox One or One, right? And that one I was able to get like the day up. I remember buying it online that morning and going to pick it up that night. <laughs> Just waltzing in day one, yeah. But you know, well, without, that's, yeah, I don't think that the Xbox One was like it was kind of hyped up. But I think everybody was like, nah. "Well, there's no games for it." I think there was like, there were some other issues with the Xbox One launch too. I mean, the the dude yeah. had like seemed to make it look like it was a strictly a football console. Yeah, exactly. There were so many issues with the Xbox One launch. Um, yeah, and and like there was no backwards compatibility, so it's not like I could play any current games on it. You know. Yeah. I had to buy like a, a Xbox One game, and it wasn't that great. And you know, it's like, well, what are you going to do after that? And so. Um, you know, with the Series X, like you basically get your current, your whole library, but upgraded to, you know, 4K. Yeah, they, I mean, uh, I think you and I, you know, I would say we're both probably Xbox fanboys at this point. Yeah. But, uh, because I feel like the Xbox development team and maybe UX team, the experience team, really turned that console around oh, and they turned did. it into something for the gamers. You know, it's like so much backwards compatibility now. Um and the play anywhere capability that Microsoft yep. is doing, you can buy the game once, play it on multiple occasions. I, I have a PlayStation as well. I like both consoles. Um, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I enjoy my experience on the Xbox way more than I do on my yeah. on my PlayStation. My PlayStation is a boring interface that just feels like a DVD menu. Right, right. But yeah, uh, but yeah, but I and I'm also not someone. Xbox 360 was the last console i stood in line to get as fast you know as soon as i could and like i said i didn't even get it i had to just chance it in a store but all the other consoles i typically wait like i typically wait like a month or two to get them i I don't know i guess maybe as i'm getting older i'm getting more patient well you know the the other thing too is like you know there's there's going to be some definite benefits to getting this new series x and one of them is replacing my day one xbox that's starting to kick the bucket a little bit yeah um you know that's kind of the personal benefit to me uh you know they've graded graphics and hardware and faster loading times all that it's going to be fantastic but at the end of the day like i'm playing the same things i'd be playing on that thing right now so do you have a you one know? x i have a one x yeah okay. i have a day yeah. one and a one x ah yeah yeah got it so i tell you with the original xbox i had one, two, three, four. I think I own four, maybe five of those. Oh, really? Yeah, because I modded a couple of them uh, back okay. in the modding community on those. Um, I modded a couple. I had an original. I think it broke. I upgraded to the Halo Special Edition, the green translucent uh-huh. one. Yeah. Translucent one. I had that one as my main for a really long time. And then, uh, and then I modded a couple, and then another couple for yeah. friends. But. Uh, yeah, those were fun. Those, those, I seemed like I collected those. Like, I don't know. They, they were, they, they got really cheap at the end. They did. They were like, I mean, I think you could get them for like a hundred bucks or something yep. the, near yep, the yep. end of it. Yeah, yeah, so easy. And 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 it was at the time when like you know there were everyone still had DVD players and stuff, and so it was like oh, I could get a DVD player or I could spend thirty more dollars and just get another Xbox. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so yep. Well, I'm excited to get it when it does eventually like hit shelves, and I I have I have a feeling you're right. It's gonna be like in December. I'm gonna be in Target and be like, hey, is that for sale over there? <laughs> what is that? I'll just <laughs> and they're uh... like, uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, okay, put it in the cart. Yeah. So 
you know. Could you come over here with the key, please? Yeah, exactly. Open this for me. <laughs> Meanwhile, they need like my blood yeah. type, uh, right? You know, right. like. <laughs> so you're trying to be really nice. Identification. Yeah. My birth hey, hey, sorry to bother you with uh, you know your little web browsing going on, but if you could come over here and open this this case for me, <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I know, I'm really sorry. I just you know I just really want to make sure it's okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, hey, listen, I don't want to bother you during uh, Among Us. I know you're playing it right, right? now. <laughs> yeah oh good times all right my friend that's our geek news uh let's talk we didn't do the intro dan's missing for the intro so we know we just need to record it we just need to record him doing it like one time and then like just splice it in just just splice it in every time so we'll just keep talking about it exactly all right let's talk about microscope so uh, microscope is something that uh, I stumbled across probably a couple years ago, like three or four years ago, actually. Maybe not quite that long ago. But anyway, I stumbled across it um, listening, listening to Matt Colville talk about um, DMing, like kind of the basics of DMing. You know, he has this whole uh, running the game series on YouTube mm-hmm. yeah. that he does. Well, one of them was talking about like world building and, you know, he's, he's all about homebrew and all that stuff. And so he's like, how do you want to build your world? What do you want it to look like? And he had sort of... Um, passively alluded to uh microscope as a great way to um get players invested in the world building aspect of your rpg world and maybe that's a great zero session that you do just to kind of set the tones and history of the world as you sort of move forward building rpg and i'm like oh that's cool file that in the back of my brain and um flash forward several years i said Man, let's try this game out. And so I think I picked it up of Drive Drive Through RPG, which it's available there still. This game is ten dollars. It's basically a PDF. Uh, this is not a board game. It's not an RPG. It's a world building simulation. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Do you have any ideas? Um. No, I think that's good. Okay, excellent. <laughs> it's a world. It's not an RPG. It's not, you know, it's not a board game. It's not a war game. It's a world building simulation. Simulation. So the instructions, you get the instructions, like the, the booklets, I think like it might maybe is a hundred pages, but it's like minimalist typing, hardly any pictures, maybe a couple of diagrams. You can, you can get through reading this thing in like 20 minutes. Like it's not yeah. like a hundred page novella. It's, you know, flip through, there's big sections. You can get what you need real quick. And, and get going. So it's it's a good instruction booklet. Anyway, it's $10. Well worth it. Um, so what's the big deal about this? Like it's a, it's a world building simulator. And um, so what this does is it helps create the history around the world that you want to play in. Right? It, um, it helps create sort of the backstories of this, you know, this world that you will be playing in, or you could just build it to build a world. And it's mm-hmm. kind of cool to do it as a standalone as well. Like you don't have to play it with an RPG. Matt Colville was just suggesting that because it's, a, it's actually a nice fit. Um, but I, you know, we, we've talked about RPGs in the past, like, um, uh, what's the one with, um, 
the one that we always rag on. D and D. No, I mean sometimes <laughs> oh, we rag on that one. Uh, Numenera. Yeah. Now the interesting thing about that, and we've talked about this, is the world building there is really cool, mm-hmm. right? Because it's about like all these these historical periods that have sort of like you know gone through their golden age phase and decline and rise and decline and rise and decline. So you're dealing with like uncovering this sort of arcana history that has happened over the space of you know millennia and um you know there's i think i think specifically in numenera there was like seven periods or something like that mm-hmm. of history you know seven eras. great periods um and uh yeah eras and then um anyway the point is is that you can create all of that stuff here and then that's your backdrop for your for your game that you want to play so, yeah, I, yeah, I um, I think it's interesting if you if you enjoy world building for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like world building, just straight up hard pass. Oh, this is not a game for you. Nope. It's just it's all about world building, but putting us putting um putting mechanics around world building that make it um something that you play out with. You can play it out. I guess you can play it out alone, but you can sit around the table with other people. And, hey, let's let's build a world together. Yeah. Let's go. Here we go. You know, and just use everyone gets a contribution to it and you feed off of each other while you're playing. So I'm going to compare it to um, Secret Hitler in a way that is probably shouldn't be compared in that way. But I'm going to I'm going to try. Okay, I'm Um, curious to see how you do this. Yeah. So the thing that I always try to sell people on Secret Hitler um, is that it's murder in the dark but with tools and tactics to foster player interaction, right? Like the tools and tactics, like the way that you have to do the votes, the way that you uh-huh. have to do the, you know, like the the, the um, abilities that you get when you enact policies and things like that, that is a way to foster and encourage player interaction rather than somebody just giggling and saying, I think you moved your nose funny. I think you're the murderer. (laughs) Right. You know, Um, like it gives you like real world concrete anchors to start like deducing and making accusations and things like that. Right. So I think what happens is secret Hitler provides better structure around a simple game, like uh, murder in the dark. Okay. Take that idea and apply it to world building. I think Microscope takes uh, world building, which can be a very vague and messy thing, and starts to put some structure and rules around it that helps foster player interaction, and you can end up feeding off of each other and gain traction to produce something actually quite good. Yeah, I like the feeding off so, part. Um, and I think how, we'll how did talk. I do? How did the analogy work? Good. It All right. Good. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the key there is that you, uh, you know, I think one of the key things you picked out there was that, um, like Secret Hitler, it forces you to engage in a way that actually plays the game versus just right uh, emergent gameplay, which is like, oh, you know, he always has a twitch when he's on that team, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, or I just don't like him. Yeah. And uh, and world building that way would be like, all right, well, uh, you know, mm, I think there's going to be magic users that are elves because there's always magic users. That yeah, are elves, always. You know, and you're like, okay, all right, cool. You yeah. Know, so. I think I remember you, when our buddy up, Mike think, yeah. brought up elves 
with magic and he was yeah well we'll talk about it later but i think what's great about this game is that uh, that interaction is whatever whenever it's your turn to tell part of the story you got to realize that there's someone that came before you and there's yeah. going to be somebody that comes after you so right. that can put a spin on anything you you write yep which what makes it a game yep exactly exactly like for you, example you uh, own what you own what you what you write uh in that moment yes yeah, you know, so but you don't own the history. You don't own the the full history. We all own it together. Yep. Um, and we're all we'll we'll all follow it, and it will evolve. It it is it is its own thing that will evolve from yeah. the minds of all of us. Uh, as an example, the one of our buddies I think really loves elves, and I think and I say that because now that we started a new D and D campaign, what is he playing? Yeah. A half elf. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so he made this elf. Uh, he he had this section about how these these kind of these elves people brought in magic. And uh, how they they were, I don't even remember exactly what he did, but it, he basically was kind of spinning it out of, of these these magic people were kind of oppressed and they were the good people and, you know, they, they were getting set up to be, yeah. you know, the righteous people on the planet. And it was my turn to go next. And I hate elves. And I, <laughs> I hate with a passion. Uh, so I'm like... Okay, we can do this. So then I turn and I say, okay, let's take that a little bit further. So it's okay. So then the elves, they they are, and the magic, maybe it wasn't elves, but the magic people come together, they rise up, they form a great nation, and they begin to oppress yeah. the uh, the non-magic <laughs> users. And I just wrote this whole thing. Basically, they they were so racist yeah. that they put, they, they stuffed all of the non-magic users onto an island on a continent and forced them and put magic berries around them so that they would have to stay there and rot. And that was the end of my part. And I was like, right back at you, buddy, your turn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you can have a lot of, a lot of twists and turns. So I think this game is best played like four to five people. I think once you start getting, like Mm -hmm. if you start getting like 10 people around a table to try it'd be unwieldy i think two people you don't get enough of the creative creativity and juices coming you know so find find four to five people uh listen and and one thing that we have to say up front is that this is a game that is meant to be played on the tabletop and you actually it gives you instructions on how to use like index cards to make notes and change things and all this stuff mm-hmm. um which is great and i think it would play very fast like that like you could go through a whole history in a couple hours or like working together um we chose not to do that because it was covid and we have a bunch of people living in a bunch of different places we started a wiki page and started outlining all of our history um there and we would write out paragraphs and that was kind of our intention was to go slower and and do that so when you hear us talk about microscope um you're gonna hear us taking like okay well this guy wrote about this or he wrote about that um this isn't a game where you have to sit down and compile essays we chose to play it like that because of covid and other things that were going on um but um you know you don't have to you don't have to play it that way um like it's meant to be played you write like a couple of sentences on a note card and you move on Mm mm-hmm so just realize that there's going to be a little bit of discrepancy that we played it a little bit differently than it was intended. I still think it worked out because we kept the core principles, but um, it was pretty fun. I, so, I think yeah, yeah, I think the way ahead. we did it uh, was totally, totally fine. It's you, If you ever play like a play-by-post 
um, or that kind of thing, you just understand that it's going to slow down. Um, you're going to slow your life down online. That's the whole point is that you have the, yeah. the opportunity to kind of step away, do real life stuff, and then come back. And as long as everybody's good with that, then it can progress. But uh, I, I really had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, all right, so let's talk about kind of how you play it because we're alluding to a lot of things that probably mm, yep, mm-hmm. don't make sense to the to the listener um, that will make more sense when we talk about it. So when you go to setup, there's a couple of things that you, you need to, you do need to set some boundaries. Otherwise, like when if you're world building with infinite boundaries, you're going to get a oh, monster yeah, that stupid. you, you're going to get it. You're going to get a monster you don't want to birth. It's it's going to be unwieldy. So first off, I would say that you need to establish the big picture, right? You need to establish like what 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 is the kind of game like what is the kind of history do you want to make? Do you want it to be a fantasy? Do you want it to be a sci-fi? Do you want it to kind of be like genre building? Do you want to make a western? I mean, you could do anything. You know, I mean, like figure out what your genre is sort of stick to that genre a little bit, right? So what we decided to do was um, we had this idea, and it was kind of based on Battlestar Galactica because I was watching it at the time, which was that's right, I remember. Remember? That's, yeah. yeah, it was. It was that it was two guys. A lot of what you were doing. Yeah, so two guys end up like uh, not two guys, but like the, you know this this uh, this uh, ship ends up crashing down on this planet, um, and they end up stepping off. And what do they discover on this planet? So already we have. Okay, sci-fi, right? We got a little bit of sci-fi in here, but the it's like a it's like a virgin planet too. So, is it like Avatar a little bit? You know, is it like um, uh, is it like a Star Trek planet that they find? Like, what is it? And we decided that you know, um, it was going to be a sci-fi thing, but it was also going to have some fantasy aspects to it as well. So mm-hmm. we we kind of decided early on that that's the sort of the world that we wanted to work in. Right. So, yep. And we, we, I like how you gave every player, you know, based on the way the system's supposed to work, you give every player an opportunity to say, what are things that you are your absolute, I do not want this at all inside yeah. this universe? Um, and one of them I think somebody put was uh, gods. So, yeah. like, they didn't want invincible beings. Right. Like, or no, immortal. They didn't want immortality, Immor- immortality. It, to be part of it. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, because uh, then you know everybody, and then everybody got around to look at it and agree, or kind of contend it, or or just discuss it. And once we all agreed on that, then we had the boundaries. Yeah, I think that was important. I mean, there there's a step right before that, right, which is that you need to bookmark it, right? Like you could say like, okay, well we're gonna start at the primordial soup of evolution, <laughs> and then end up like you yeah. know with a hyper advanced telepathic race that's been around for. 40,000 years or something like that. Okay, that's like way too big. You know what I mean? So let's confine it a little bit. Um, and you you end up bookmarking. You decide together, okay, like, so we're going to talk about a period from, you know, the first king was crowned on this continent to the first launch of the space rocket into outer space. Boom. There's our his, There's our bookended history. Mm-hmm. So everything before that is prehistory. Everything after that is the distant future that we don't talk about. We're going to be working within those confines. Okay. So so right there, you already know you've got kind of a time boundary. And then you brought up the idea that there has to be a topic boundary as well. So there's immortality was one that we brought up. What was some other ones? Um, 
I'm trying to think of some other ones that we had discussed. Um, yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head. I think we had it in the disc in the Discord, but um, we yeah, like there was there's just a bunch that we had kind of uh, uh, brought up because like the thing is is that. Oh, time travel. That was another big one. Ah, uh, yes. Good. You remember? Because mm-hmm. that could start wrecking history is real bad. Where you could, like, you know, you start out and you say, okay, this, this event happened. And then, like, several phases down the road, somebody goes back and be like, but it didn't happen that way because my guy time traveled. Yeah. You're like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, and I think that's part of the rules, too, is that nothing you – when it's your turn to write, nothing you write – can contradict or change what someone else wrote. You can only add to. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that a rule? Yeah. Yeah. You can't contradict. Exactly. So you can't, you can't, and, and the thing is, is you can, I mean, yes, you can't directly contradict. So the, so the way it would work in practicality would be, um, uh, the, uh, the magic elves gained their magic from touching uh, a meteorite that had come down and it infused them with uh, magical power, right? And everyone within the, like the uh, 100 miles. So basically their entire race because they're living in a little hamlet, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a cool post. All right, good. And then somebody posts directly after that that um, uh, the the... Magic elves actually got their power from the water that they were drinking, not the rock that they touched. And you're like, well, dude, you just con- you just contradicted yeah. it. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't you can't like do that. Now, what you could do is say like, um, the magic power was in them all along, and when they touched the rock, it unlocked it at a cellular level. You know what I mean? Or something like that. So you could build on that. You just couldn't contradict it directly. So. Yeah, um, I just scrolled back in our Discord. Some of the other things were um, no terraforming and no matrix. Oh yeah, like this is a world within a within a world. Yeah, type this of like thing. this is not a real. Like I think we talked about how the concept of like virtual and augmented reality were cool, but we don't want to discover like you know a bunch of posts later that all of a sudden this wasn't the world we were all living in. It was just fake. Right, right. And that was a good thing to establish right up front. Yep. And those were those were important, um, and and just as important as we had things that we wanted to see in there too, right? Um, we said stuff like clash of civilizations, political intrigue, wars, plagues, cataclysms. Um, you know, we didn't want any Superman type. We did not want any Superman type of heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We didn't want. Um, like, uh, uh, looks like spaceships that could like warp drive out of there. You know, out of the area. Yeah, because we um, wanted to. We wanted them to kind of be the whole thing to happen on the planet. Yep. Yep. Although some people started to deviate from that as we got uh, kind of to the end. Yeah. But, uh, that's all right. So uh, you know, I mean, the point is, is that you've got some boundaries, and I think the important thing is, is that when somebody put it in there, right? They said, "Listen, I don't want time travel to be a thing. I really don't." Um, the important thing as a group is you start out and you say, absolutely, it's not a thing. Well, wait a minute. Let's talk about it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you need to start with the yes. Yes, we're not going to include it in there, right? But then maybe, okay, well, what are the boundaries of that? Do we have like, 
You know what I mean? Like, can, you, you need to kind of pick at it a little bit. And maybe there's a good reason why somebody does want to have it in there. But the point is you need to come to a consensus at the end. So if somebody puts it on their no list, you should absolutely acknowledge that it's on the no list. You should absolutely say we are going to treat it as if it's on the no list. But let's talk about it just to make sure we do want it on the no list. Yeah. Another you example know. that was immortality. Um, mm hmm you know, we talked about, okay, maybe there's not, you know, inherent immort like immortality in someone's DNA, but what about the concept of immortality is and somebody downloads their mental, uh, you know, a mental capture of them and uploads right. it into a simulation? Is that type of immortality okay? Um, yeah. So just kind of having those conversations. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think I remember the conversation that we had with that was, look, we just don't want, like, the same dude showing up over and All over the and time. over again. Yeah, let's make right? it fresh. Yeah, and so, you know, somebody downloading their consciousness into a computer program might be kind of interesting to use as a legacy, and we could talk about that later. You know, we'll talk about what a legacy is, where it pops up every now and then as, like, something that influences history. Um, but it's not like driving the main story type of thing. Not that there's mm -hmm. a main story to drive, but it's not like, you know, Mr. Wiggles is like showing up every <laughs> single time, you know, great. This is fun guys. This is the, the Mr. Wiggles show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so you've got time boundaries, you've got idea boundaries by your yes and no. Um, and once you do that, you're kind of ready to go. Uh, and so what you do is everybody gets a first pass. You start with, you know, one guy or lady or whatever. And what they do is they create a period. We'll talk about what periods are, but everybody gets to kind of create a period. Well, I mean, we can talk about periods right now. A period is like a period of time that spans multiple. It could span like 100 years. It could span 1,000 years. It could span four years. It's just a period of time in which a lot of events occur. And the example I like to use is World War II is a period, right? Um, there's a lot of events that happened in World War II, uh, but it is a definite, there's a start and an end to World War II. So therefore it is a period. Yeah. So um, that's something that everybody got to create one at the very beginning. And this was a lot of fun. I think this was probably one of the most fun things is because everybody had an idea of what they wanted this world to be. And I started by putting down a marker. Boom, here's this period. It was like the rise and fall of such and such empire, right? And everybody had a chance to say, okay, well, do I want my period to come before that or after that in our history, uh, in our kind of our linear history? And they could put it afterwards. They could put it before. And we started putting these, um, you know, they're basically the pillars of your world building were these periods that we created in the beginning um, that helped kind of outline um, – time and then what you're able to do as you started playing the game is you could work within a period or you could identify a gap between periods to you know create a new one that sort of helps span span the historical gaps a little bit i thought it was uh, i thought that part was really good yeah agreed um i think um I think the other thing that was enjoyable was, uh, and we could start this, you could talk about this now or later, but the, that you would attach a kind of light or darkness to, oh, yeah. to each uh, thing that you wrote. So if you yep. wrote a period, um, 
after you finished writing, you have to kind of, you were supposed to kind of put, is this a light period or a dark period? Meaning, right. is this a dark time in the history of, of this world building or was it a happy light time? That's a great, yeah, yeah. And something that was interesting, if you read the the rules, is they say, you know, the whether or not something is light or dark is just from the perspective of whatever you're writing, right? Because yeah. in, in one person's view, it may be, well, that's a very dark thing. On another person's view, it might be very light. And I and it's funny, I took an advantage of this and I had fun with it is I started out writing a period where um, the world was overpopulated and people had to basically start, you know, half the world had to be sacrificed in, oh, to right. build an organically, you know, like an organic mattered machine that would help run the planet. And um, the way I'm writing it, I'm writing it in such a way that it seems like, oh my gosh, this is a horrible thing. Like that, you know, the only way that this civilization could find to solve their overpopulation problem was by sacrificing half of their population to build this organic machine. Yeah. But then as I write it and I keep writing, I write into the fact that, you know, basically like uh they didn't even have to do like a um a, a what do you call it a ra they didn't have to do a raffle or anything or a drawing because so many people came forth and volunteered because yeah. there was this ultimate feeling of helping the race progress and everyone saw it as an honor to be able to sacrifice themselves to the machine and, yeah yeah and by the time i ended great. at the end i said period light light right <laughs> because, the whole race was happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. It was, a happy it was time. very much it was very much in the eye of the beholder, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, you know, this is always like it this kind of goes hand in hand with it's like, you know, even even the antagonist is the hero in his own story. Yep. Right? So when he's ruling with an iron fist, uh listen, Darth Vader might have thought, Hey, things are going great. This is a great time. <laughs> for all of us you know what i mean like yeah. there's order in the galaxy things are working the way they are except for those gangly group of rebels yeah. oh, you know just need to crush pes them it's pesky rebels crush them and bring peace and order to the galaxy <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah that was a it was a cool thing because um and what's interesting is you may have a light period but you could have some dark events absolutely you yeah. know that that kind of colored it and you ended up with a um and and i think this is interesting you ended up with kind of if you're classifying things light and dark you ended up usually with gray periods where there's a mixed bag of things that happened and i mean isn't that true to life too like you look at any period i mean look at coronavirus right here we're in a period of coronavirus mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of i mean you could easily say there's a lot of dark things that happen but you know what there's a lot of light things that happen too yeah you yeah. know so kind of interesting, kind of kind of interesting. Um, all right, so how you play the game is once you get kind of this first pass done, you get your pillars of history in there. You have your beginning, you have your end, you have your go, no-go list. You're ready to rock and roll. Um, basically, you establish a turn order. So you have player one, two, three, four, let's say. Player one is going to, in the first round, take on the role of the lens. And what the lens does is he focuses your efforts during this during this round on a very specific point in history, all right? So he's going to either choose one of the established periods or he's going to create his own period. Now, you can put a period outside of the established ones or you can put it inside of the established ones. So, for example, one period might be the modern age, okay, or something like that. And the, period, the person might say, okay, I'm going to create World War II. 
because uh, it's within it's within the modern age, World War II, and we're gonna focus on we're gonna focus our entire round on creating some things around um, this World War II period, right? So the the person will kind of describe what the period is. They'll say, okay, well, it was a clash between several nations, between you know goodness and darkness, between democracy and fascism, and you kind of give the broad brushstrokes of what this is going to be, and you lay that down, right, with your light and dark moniker in there, all right? The next person can either choose to create another period within that. Now, I would argue that if you're creating a period within a period within a period, probably going too deep on that a little bit, right? So you can then create an event or a scene now events always have to fit in a period um an event is a single uh single event that happens so for example within world war ii there was the battle of the bulge right and that was a very famous event that occurred in um in belgium um just outside of bastogne and that you know we all know or like or um Iwo Jima was an event within World War II, or Pearl Harbor was an event within World War II. You know, I mean, you've got a very definite beginning and end of what that what that was. And um, so the person who, who who creates an event says, okay, well, within this period, World War II, I'm going to create um, uh, I'm going to create Pearl Harbor. This is where the enemy surprise attacks one of them and lures in the greatest industrial power into the war. Right? And you're like, oh, okay, that's pretty dramatic. Uh, and then somebody else can create another event, or they can do what's called a scene. And the scene has to go underneath an event. So if you're following me here, there's a period, right, that spans several years or a time frame or whatever. There's an event that is a very specific event, and then there's a scene. And what's interesting, this is we didn't do this, but this is how you're normally supposed to play it around the table. The scene is actually role-played. And the person who creates the scene says, okay, here's the scene. Yeah. I've got X characters that we're going to do, and we're going to just ad-lib role-play this. And I don't know how it's going to end up. We're just going to – I mean, it's basically like uh, – you know, it's basically like uh, improv comedy here that we're going to do. We're just going to play it out. But, you know, here's the characters. Here's the scene – you know, here's the event that's happening. And here's a little bit of background for the scene and go. And that's where you end up doing a little bit of role play, right? Um, so you may say, okay, uh, World War II is a period. Pearl Harbor is the event. And the um, I want to do a scene where American intelligence is just realizing that we're going to be attacked within the next 10 minutes. Yeah, and I think... Um... Uh, one of the ways that they say that helps drive this is when you state your scene, you state a specific question yep. about that scene. And this, yes. the role play of the scene continues until everyone at the table agrees that there is an answer to that question. Right. Right. So the question would be, um, let, let's see. Okay. Let's say it's American intelligence realizing um, uh, what... Uh, what would be a question for that scene? Well, it could be like, what what intelligence did they gather that allowed them to respond in a certain way, or something? Yeah, yeah. Or what was their to turn the tide? What was what was their response to receiving this intelligence? Yeah, there you go. 
You know, mm-hmm. what was it? What was their actual response to receiving this intelligence, knowing that it was going to happen in 10 minutes, you know, and yeah. then you would kind of play it out. And these aren't meant to be long role playing sessions. I mean, it's not meant to be like a four hour D&D session. This is supposed to be done in like five, 10 minutes, you know, where each person takes a character and they role play it out. You just kind of see where it goes, you know. One thing I think so. is interesting is they talk about one of the players can take the character of time. Yeah. Uh, and so time is the special character that can kind of help move things along. Like if somebody's getting stuck, you're maybe you're getting someone else's paralysis going on. Yep. Uh, the time player has the authority to step in and be like, well, uh, and because the so-and-so commander could not make a decision, then this happened. Yeah. 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 It's great. Uh, it's it's great that way. So, um, so basically, when you're playing these rounds, the lens again. I'm going back to the lens. The lens focuses the history on a certain period and kicks it off right for the rest of everybody. Everybody will make their contribution within that period, and then at the end, like so, players one, two, three, and four. Right, one is being the lens. He goes. Two goes. Three goes. Four goes. And then the lens will come in at the end and kind of put a bookend on it, if you will, right? So yeah. they get an extra opportunity to make a second um, post or make a second contribution just to kind of wrap it up with a bow a little bit. And um, that kind of finishes off that period that they were working on. Now, it, the lens will then pass to the second player and he'll choose it somewhere else. And what's great is if, let's say player number two is like, oh my gosh, there's so much more that happened in this period, and we all agree that this could be fleshed out. Let's do it again. You can. Why not? Who's stopping you? Who's stopping that guy from going right back into that period and just doing more to flesh it out even more? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do it. Or you can move on. You can be like, all right, we're done. We'll come back to that one later if we feel like it. We're moving on to sci-fi or, you know, like the the distant future, the space race um, type of thing. So, um you know, it it's all up to the lens gets to choose, which is great. Now there's a there's an intra or am I saying that round right? In between rounds, there's a function that I think is so important. This is like probably in my opinion the most important function of the game. It's called the legacy. And if player one was the um, if player one was the lens, player four is going to control the legacy. And what this means is you go through, you do all your stuff within that period, and player four is going to say, okay, what artifact, what thought, what ideal, what actual artifact, um, what what concept should survive the test of time, right? And so let's say that um, with, with our example, World War II, right? Um, somebody finds Hitler's Luger, okay? And that becomes a symbol for fascism in the future. So they're going to take that artifact, right? And they're going to write an event about it some some period in the future. And let's say that it's the, let's say it's the, the um, uh, rocket taking off into space and the astronaut gently pats the Luger that is like at his side, knowing that he's going to establish a fascist colony up in space. (laughs) Right. 
that went dark real fast, right? There it but is. But there you yeah. go. That those legacies that you do end up tying all of your histories together. This is why I think it's the most important part, because like things reappear in history um, later on that you that you catch that influence the way things are. One one of the things that I loved was your meteor shard that you used. Do you remember oh, that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was um, fun. Yeah, because we had a meteor crash down, and that's kind of what gave people all the magic, right? Yep. And uh, and then something happened. Like, how, how were you using the meteor shard? Uh, so I think there was, like, a giant... The person who wrote before me wrote about, like, a giant battle that had happened. Um, and I think it was a battle... I don't know if it was a battle of aliens that came down or something. There was something. And so when I wrote, I was writing about uh, basically a scientist who was walking among the wreckage while they were cordoning off like, oh, there was a big explosion. Uh, the scientist was walking amongst the wreckage of the explosion and, and something yeah. was kept calling to him. Right. Maybe not a scientist, but a person. It kept calling to him. And so as he kept he kept kind of whittling his way towards this thing that was calling him and eventually uh, moved apart the rubber rubble and found this shard. Yeah. The shard of the meteorite. Yeah. And uh, grabbed it. And that was kind of the end. I just, and that, that way I, I, I created this thing that other players, this thing that was now in our world as an, as like a relic almost that other players could build off of in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I thought it was great. And in fact, I remember I, I just ran across a little post in our Discord chat where I was like, "Ah, you got me with the with the meteor shard!" Like it just like felt like it came yeah. out of the blue, and it was so perfect, and it was so great, like that it like made an appearance later on, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, it just it felt good to like be able to kind of tie those things together throughout the histories to do it. Now there was um, there was another yeah. one we did. We did the. Uh... Necronomicon. We made a version oh, of the yeah. Necronomicon. It was made out of the, and I wrote that one too. Made out of the flesh of uh, the the guy who like oh some there was an evil sorcerer that another yeah. player had brought in and introduced, and another player who I think was my f- same friend who brought the magic in uh, that didn't like my evil sorcerer. I think uh, basically like made him become defeated. Like he he got defeated in a big battle, and then I think right. it was my turn again. I wrote that yeah he was defeated in a big battle, so he kind of sucked himself down in his dungeons. He nursed his wounds with his uh, his his staff or supporters, and then um, but basically like didn't emerge for like a really long period of time. And then when he did emerge, he didn't emerge with any of his supporters, but he had a book made out of the skin of human flesh. Yeah, yeah. It was like yep, there's another relic. Yeah, yeah, that or was whatever. awesome. A legacy, yeah. Legacy, I, yeah. I think I wrote about a legacy where there was a cult of assassins. Mm, yeah. Remember mm-hmm. that had formed up and yeah. um, they kind of passed their legacy. I yeah, mean, it that sounds cult like Assassin's was Creed. now a yeah. legacy. Yep. Yeah, that cult was now a legacy, exactly. And That's a good um, example. Kind of showed up later. So it doesn't have to be, it didn't have to be a thing, right? Because right. it was kind mm-hmm. of the idea of the cult. Um, that yeah. you could That you could push through. So I really like, that was probably my favorite part of it. Um, and, and I liked it a lot. So, so, okay, let's go overall. What do we like about microscope? What do you like about microscope? I like the, uh, I like this, the, um, collaborative storytelling. 
yeah. aspect of it. Uh, so years ago when I played D&D 3.5e, we did something different where every session uh, we passed the DM hat to another player. Oh, interesting. So what, we'd come and we'd have our nice four or five hour D&D session. We'd play through some story arc and then we would choose which person was going to do the next arc that tied that kept all of our characters tied together and it was fun because it it switched it gave people an opportunity to play as a dm yeah but it also made the story like no one knew where the story was actually going to go the story just kind of evolved itself yeah and when it gives the opportunity for these world building to take on a life of its own through the power of individual and unique brains that are coming together to contribute to it yeah yeah, I uh, I liked this a lot because um, it was collaborative, and you couldn't have anyone dominate. So a lot of a lot of cooperative games out there. I think Pandemic is one of the best examples. Uh, one person usually plays that game for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> We're like, oh, dude, you should go there. You should do that. You should go do that. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, okay, thank you. Um. This is a collaborative game that you can play that when it comes your turn, it is your turn. You yep. have the freedom to do what you want with it. Yes, and make within it. the bounds that everyone's already agreed on. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, those bounds are really the lanes are really wide. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have a lot of freedom with it. Well, um with yeah. the guarantee that nobody can contradict what you say exactly. as long as you're within those bounds. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, which is, which is great, which is great. I like, uh, I think that the rules are super simple. The gameplay is very simple. Um, I mean, we went through literally all the gameplay just now, uh, talking about it. It's very simple. You just have to bring your imagination is really what it is. So, um, for that, I like it a lot. Um, yeah. What, what don't you like about this game? Huh? Um, is there anything you don't like about it? No, I don't. I mean, the thing is, is you just got to know what it is you're playing, right? You're playing a world building yeah. game. Um, you're you're not playing a classical role playing game, right? right. Um, I don't. I honestly, I think if we were playing it around the table, uh-huh. I wonder how long it would take to play. Yeah. Um, I think I would probably limit it to like maybe maybe two, maybe three rounds. Yeah. Going around the people, otherwise, and then, I think and then maybe play it by ear. So, we're gonna guarantee yeah. do three rounds. Let's... But if we have some scenes yeah. that last a long time, like maybe we're yep. just gonna play for like two hours and then and then see where we are. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the right call, too. I think that you got to limit it. I mean, we were kind of doing the infinite loop, um, yeah, you know, for a while. Um, what was I gonna say? I so. I, I think this is absolutely one of those games that you have to know what you're getting into and you have to know the people that you are inviting to come play with you. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have people who are not very good at sort of on the spot improv, they're going to struggle with this a little bit, I think. Um, and, you know, that's not to say like this is good or bad. I mean, I just don't think, I don't know if this game is for everyone in a sense. You know, there's some people who. Um, I think would shy away from this game because you really have to come with your creativity hat on. Now, what what we were asking for in our game was much more in depth than what I think this game is asking for around the table. 
Because what we were asking for in our game were literal, like, long posts that were written out with a lot of detail in them. And um, I think the game table is literally looking for, like, a sentence with some that you can write down with some maybe a little bit of ex- explanation behind it. So I don't know if you have to, like, be that super creative in a sense, you know? Yeah, that's good points. I think that many people might come and look at this and think, this isn't a game. I came over to play a game. Right. You know, they may, what, what are we doing? We're just, like, being inventive? or Inventive. So, this is yeah. this is being inventive. I don't even know if it's playing a game. Like, I mean, yeah. it's a game. It's a game, but there's no competition to it. So it's a you know. game. An example of why it's a game is what I've been referring to is me and my buddy, who are really good friends and go back a long time, we were playing off of each other for sure. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to oh, try yeah. to make it this way. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to spin it and see how you take it. And he'd spin it right back at me. So that's oh, where yeah. kind of the game part comes in. But but like you said, it comes down to who are the people that you're doing this with. Because yeah. some people may just, you know, see that as, uh, I don't know, some people may not see that as fun. <laughs> and yeah. you got to make sure you got people that are creative and like to make something new with their imagination. Yeah, uh, I I also think that you've got to have people who um, are good with like hierarchy levels of information, you know, because um, sorting things into like this is this falls into this is what a period is, this is what an event is, this is what a scene is, this is what a legacy is, and being able to kind of keep those straight because it can get a little tricky sometimes. Where somebody's like, all right, well, I'm doing an event. And this happened in our game. And I'm going to chalk this up to the medium that we chose, mm-hmm. the writing medium. Because I think if we were around the table, we could have sort of explained it a lot easier and faster and gotten it a lot quicker. But because we were doing the writing online and stuff like that, um, my writing and their writing, their comprehension of what I was writing didn't always translate, <laughs> you know. And um, But it was... Um, uh, what I mean by that is that, like, uh, a lot of times our guys would say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do an event," but then it was this whole narrative of like conversation back and forth, and I'm like, "Well, no, that's a scene. That's literally yeah. a scene, mm-hmm. you know? Because if you've got two people talking, that can't be an event. That has to be a scene within the event, right? You yep. know? So, mm-hmm. like, an event would be the launching of Apollo 13. The scene would be mission control talking to the captain on the on the ship that's a scene you know and so trying to explain some of those concepts and keeping them straight uh sometimes i feel like we're a little tough to to keep it because part of the part of the issue is that people had ideas of what they wanted to talk about and they're like oh i just got this idea i'm going to put it in boom there's my event you're like okay wait that's a scene we need a little event behind it you know what i mean so there's a little bit of um I feel like for my part, because I was sort of curating a lot of this, uh, there was a little bit of like rule sticklerness that I had to do a little bit to keep everything on the level. I think that that would have been mitigated by just being in the same room around a table. I do too. I really do. Um, because you would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you want to do a scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, so I agree. I agree. Uh, And and surprisingly, the concept of legacies was really tough for people to kind of wrap their brains around. And again, I think being around the table would have mitigated this. Um, People just had a hard time saying like, okay, well, why does this show up in the future? And like, why am I doing this again? And there are some rules about like active and inactive legacies that I think threw people off. And I'm like, don't worry about that right now. 
just roll with it, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, um, but overall I had a lot of fun working this together. It was so much fun riffing off of other people. You know, I felt way more yeah. creative working with other people than just me myself sitting down and trying to come up with a history. It's it's way easier to kind of avoid writer's block when you kind of you do a dump and then you watch other and listen to other people, which start to spawn the creative soup in your brain. Yeah. And then when it's your turn again, you got a bunch of ideas you can throw. Up. And then and then, you know, you can maybe you dump your brain again and then you can watch and listen and pay attention and start to create new ideas. When it's your turn again. This is also a great exercise if you've got jealousy about your work and what you do to exercise patience and uh, <laughs> long suffering with your fellow man. Because watching somebody take your baby that you put a lot of work into and thought behind and absolutely turn it in a direction you did not want that to oh, go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'll tell you what, like, I felt like, you know, the Michael Jackson meme eating the popcorn sometimes. <laughs> Just right. like, yeah, okay. You know, this is awesome until it happens to me. And I'm like, what are you doing? I did yeah. not want it to go this way, you know, but uh, I didn't have ownership over it. Nope. That's you how know? it goes. It was good. Well, it, it was funny too because there'd be times where I'm like, okay, I totally put like three or four amazing hooks for anybody to pick up on and run with. And then somebody just posts something completely not even related. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. Well, that, okay. Then... All right. Well, didn't expect that one. <laughs> so it was good. Uh, if you've got two or three buddies, three or four buddies, uh, you listen, do it, do it, uh, you know, on, um, I would say discord, but it's actually would not work on discord at all. You need a, you need a wiki page. Because you have to be able to, like, go back and repost and stuff like that, right? And reorder things. I think Wiki's probably, yeah, the best the best place for it. A Wiki. Or sure. uh, you could do a Google Doc. A Google oh, yeah, Doc sure. would work. Yep. Yeah, that yeah. would work, too. Yeah, or you Google sit around Doc the table. <laughs> or sit around the table. Sit around the table. $9 yeah, or, it's, let's see, it's $9.99, $10 on DriveThruRPG. Pick it up. It's a great, great time. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, oh, dude, you could do this with a Zoom call. It'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. You, you could do it with a Zoom call. Do it during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Pick now it you up. create an idea, and then we'll tear it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Team much building. fun. <laughs> Team building. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, pick it up. Try it out. Hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you thought of it, because we liked it a lot. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for tonight, Jason, unless you got anything else. No, I'm good. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We hope you like it. And remember, we do have the contest going on out there right now. So hit up the Facebook page, uh, you know, leave a tag, a friend in there, leave a comment, leave, leave a like, get those extra entries in and we'll get you that Cortex RPG book. Yeah. So, all right. Take care. All right. Thanks everybody.